Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. It's Thursday. It's your favorite day of the week because you get to sit here and listen to me, Michael Bombas, and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. And last week we were hoping that we would get back together, Paul, and talk about a victory. And that's exactly what we are talking about. And it looked a little different. Russell didn't put up, I guess, the godly numbers when it comes to passing yards, but he had four <laughs> touchdowns. Just, so, just another – he he did end up being our MVP, by the way. He did. He, he came did. out of Finally. nowhere. That's like the first time in two years maybe that he's been our MVP on the pre- and post-game show. So it looked a little different for Russell Wilson, still threw four touchdowns. But I feel like the headline of the game was that defense quarters one through three. You're the numbers guy. What you got for me on this defense? Look, I, they they played really well, and, and particularly for guys who are, you know, we still got a lot of injuries, right? We don't have Griffin in the game. Uh, we still don't have Jamal Adams. We lose Mayoa. My goodness, you know, who would have thunk it? And then, you know, it takes great players to step up and, you know, challenge Bobby. Not to say we, me, we have challenged Bobby Wagner to not just be good, to be great. And he was my key hawk going into that game. I said, he, he can't be average. He can't even be good. Played his best game of the year. By far. And maybe his best game in two years. And and it wasn't just in the stat box or, you know, with the, the sacks and the quarterback hits. It was the way he was playing in the run game, his way he was challenging and crowding receivers. I mean, there was just a lot of good things that went on in that game. So, um Feel good, you know. Going into that game, we were we were uncomfortable. Yeah. Hey, the Forty ers just played two really good football games. You felt like, golly, you know, they're about to get healthy. You know, we got to knock them out, and we just come off a loss. Anytime you come off a loss, you you've lost a little bit of confidence. Yeah, except for. Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, who who just, you know, they've got this positive vibe. So I feel really good where we are. I mean, we put a hurting on them. You know, they're, San Francisco's getting beat up tonight by, by uh, Green Bay. So they are what they are with all their injuries. But you got to feel good with the Seahawks at 6-1, and one, playing Buffalo, a really good football team. I just think we're playing the best football of the year right now coming off that, and we're about to get really healthy. Yeah. What I liked about that game against the 49ers, offense played well, defense played well, special teams had yeah. a turnover, special teams got it done, and we got to talk about some guys who we don't really get to talk about a lot. Cody Barton. I mean, he he flies down on kickoff, knocks a dude out. David Moore, who we talk about, Mr. Consistent, 16 catches, three of them for touchdowns. He has a day. Um, Ryan Neal. Yeah. Serviceable, still doing his thing. Uh, he he played a decent game. Bobby Wagner. Now we talk about Bobby all the time, but not in this light. This is the first game where Bobby kind of like just jumped out on us. So I appreciate it. And then the week before, Tyler Lockett has, as you would call it, the greatest game in Seattle history for a receiver. And then DK says, "Hold up, don't yeah. forget about me. I might not have the greatest game, but I'll still have 12 catches on 15 targets, 161 yards, and two touchdowns." As a fo- former player, a former coach, when you see all three phases doing their things, man, you, you got to smile on the sideline and say, okay, we're doing something good. And then we don't like when guys get hurt. We're ball players. You don't like yeah. to see guys go down. But they knocked out Jimmy. They knocked out Kittle. They knocked out Pettis. Knocked out Coleman. I hope those guys are okay, but it was nice to see this defense play some physical football. And they, and they put Warner, their best player, I think, on the on the field as well, uh, on the sideline. He came back, and but you you, you wound the leaders yeah. in a game that uh, that pops out. And you'd mentioned guys, you know. 
we're going to have T.J. Reed on tonight. You know, first game back, gets his former team, interception. Uh, Stephon Sullivan, my goodness, he's a <laughs> freaking tight end. Not anymore. And then all of a sudden he lines up defensive end, his very first snap. He makes a play on third down, you know, kind of a, a co-sack or a co-play on a, actually on a running game. Um, yeah, Jonathan Bullard, who played well, DJ Dallas, um, you know, effective. Belore. 18 carries, if I, if I remember right. Um, Demarcus or Demarius Randall, uh, Belore, you just meant the, a lot of role players that had a big impact in this game. So yeah, we should be feeling really good yeah. and you get jamal adams back you get mayoa um i can't i got i'm gonna have to go look at all my notes all the guys coming back on this but oh griffin more than likely coming back uh we just got playmakers coming back on the defense and an offense we're about to get really healthy too so I- exciting times exciting times and it was good to see <clears throat> uh russell wilson bounce back I guess he he played a good game prior. He just threw three interceptions, so you're gonna knock him on that. And you know you're you're good with your predictions, Mr. Paul Moore. I went on the Tom, Jake, and Stacy show, and I say, you know what, Russell's gonna throw four touchdowns, no interceptions. So wow. I had a, I had a Paul Moore moment. Wow, this week that's a that, week. that's a big. You even. If I could show everybody, we do these little mini flexes, big flexes. He put his hands out like he was about to catch a whale. I mean, uh, big fish. So that, that's that's some boast in there. But look, right now he's averaging four touchdowns a game. Yeah. You know, he's got, what, 27, 26? You know, he's on – I don't know what the number is because we're going into our eighth game. But he's on pace to break the all-time record, which is 50 by Tom Brady. He's averaging close to four a game. That's nuts. I mean, to go from ground Carroll to now, you know, let's throw it as often as we can, uh, two-thirds throwing, uh, pretty, pretty remarkable, that this transition. So they bounce back. They're now 1-1 one and one in the division, 6-1 and one overall. Buffalo Bills, they're going back east. Now, if this was 2008 through 10 when I was on the team and we were going back east, you just chalk it up as an L because <laughs> we just didn't do good on the road. But this is a different team. They have different leadership. They have a plan. I feel like Pete Carroll has embraced the scientific part of this and, and has a scheme and consults with people. How can we get our guys to perform at a high level so early on the East? And now they're going to check in on the Buffalo Bills. I'll tell you what I see. You tell me what you see. Okay. I see an offense who has figured out who they are. Last week, Josh Allen threw the ball 18 times, and they rushed it a bunch of times. I think this guy can throw the rock. He's athletic. He has receivers. Stephon Diggs, one of the best receivers in the league. Cole Beasley, one of the best slots in the league. Yeah. Two good running backs. Yeah. And I think this offense, If I, need, I think they need to take the New England Patriot approach when it comes to using their quarterback in the run game because I think that's where you allow him to excel. Let him be athletic. Don't make him drop in the pocket, sit in the pocket, and make a bunch of decisions all throughout the game. Offensively, I feel like this is a good football team. This is a, I don't want to say it's a danger. They're, they're six and two Buffalo. It's just, it's the Buffalo Bills. There's something about the name. If I said, Hey, we're about to go play New England Patriots who are six and two, doesn't matter what their, their names are on the back of the jersey. It, it would make your ears perk a little bit. But, um, you'd mentioned Josh Allen. I, so I put a, the game on last night and I was like, eh, he's going to be another Donald Jones, right? It's just a guy with an arm and makes bad decision. Oh no, Josh Allen is in a whole nother ballpark. He is a really good athletic quarterback. Sometimes his decision-making is a little iffy because he trusts his arm so much and his athleticism, yeah. but he can run. He's tough. 
He has a cannon for an arm. He's completing 67% of his passes right now. Yep. I mean, his not coming out of, I think, Wyoming was he wasn't that accurate of a thrower. Well, he is now, and he can throw the thing about 90 yards. There's been talk, you know, who throws the ball the far as Mahomes or Josh Allen. The consensus is Josh Allen has the strongest arm in the NFL. Yeah. And now he's accurate. Um, tough game. They've got skill positions all over the place. Here's their weakness. Where is it? Defense. Yep. One of the same defense in 2019 that was, was being amazing. praised I and know. doing their thing. What What's the difference? They still have Tredavious White. They still have um, Edmonds in the in the middle of the field. I don't know. I, you know, it's one of those. It's hard to put a, a finger on it. You know, why were I could I could go back and say well, why was it good last year? Yeah. You know, this year they're just giving up plays uh, you know they're not winning in, in the key moments third down um, they're giving up obviously a lot of first downs a lot of yards I don't know I, I, I don't know the answer to it it's just whenever I see what's the weakness of a team and this is what's weird it's to be a good debate for us later but once I see the the weakness of the team is defense I go <laughs> good to go I, I go we're gonna score 30 yeah you know, so is our defense good enough to hold them under 30? I believe it is. I think they are, I think they are if they play the way they played last week. Yeah. You have to put pressure on Josh Allen. You look yes. at him on film, the dude's tough, too. He'll yeah, stand he in the pocket, take a hit, and flick that wrist and throw the ball 40, 50 yards down yeah. the field. Uh, so if they take the same approach, and I think they will, Jamal Adams is going to be back. I'm sure B-Wags B- is in their ears saying, look, let me loose. Let's keep this thing going. They may have found their new identity on defense, and I hope they stick to it. You know, you, you got Reed now. Uh, Amadi doesn't look like he's going to be back this week, but down the road. Now, all of a sudden, we've got huge depth. We get Griffin back. You got Dunbar. We got our two safeties, Jamal, throwing digs. And look, I don't want to take you know Ryan Neal away either. I'm really curious what package we bring. So uh, expecting good things this week, though. Expecting good things. Well, coming up next, we'll dive into the Seahawks' Week 9 opponent with sideline and beat reporter Sal Capasio from the Bills right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Pause, your time to shine. You, you gotta, you're supposed to ask me the question. What's the question? Never mind. Hey, it's Hawks Live. We're here. Oh. Michael Bumpus, Paul Moore. I'll be ready Every next Thursday. one. I'll be ready. You'll be ready next one. My Every bad. Thursday right here on 710 ESPN. And right now, we get to talk to Sal Capaccio. The Bills beat <laughs> in sideline. Hey, Sal, I'm sorry if I butchered your name, man. How you doing? No, you said it. You said it right. There you go, Capaccio. Great job. Thank he, you. he was practicing. He was going. It's a Capaccio, or it's a Capaccio. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, it sounds good, and uh, always glad to be on, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for staying up. I know it's late, about ten fifteen, ten sixteen over there. So, thank you for dealing dealing with us tonight, man. First question I have for you. How nice is it to look at the standings in the AFC East and see the Buffalo Bills at top at 6-2? and two? It's even nicer than looking at the weather on Sunday being <laughs> 70 degrees and sunny in November. Wow. And that's saying a lot here in Buffalo. Well, we, we like that. Uh, we'll call it climate change then. <laughs> it's really good. Um, no doubt. No doubt. See- Guys, it's, it's, been a, it's been a long time. I mean, you know, the Bills have last – Last time the Bills won the AFC East was 1995. It was a quarter century ago, the last time they won the division. It's been so long that the Indianapolis Colts have actually won the AFC East more recently, and they haven't played in the division. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time. So uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. You know, we went through a 17-year playoff drought here 
that was ended a couple of years ago when the Bills went, um, and then they went again last year, two out of the last three years. But you know, they haven't won a playoff game. That's the next step. But uh, to see the Bills this late in the season, that high up in the standings, I believe it's the first time since the 1990s. Well, they uh, they're they're the real deal. I was watching them on film last night, and they, you got players everywhere. But a bit of a Buffalo fan in my past years. My roommate at Arizona State, Joey Lumpkin, played linebacker there for a couple of years, and then Chuck Knox, when he was a coach, in my first mm-hmm. year here with Seattle's when he he moved uh, from Buffalo to here. So uh, a little bit of history there. So um, before we get into all the positives, because there's a lot of positives going on in Buffalo, mm-hmm. the one negative. It's and what's interesting, last year, 2019, defensively, lights out, dominant. This year, not so much. Just real, what's happened there? Because it doesn't look like personnel's changed that much. Yeah, it's actually been a really good defense for the three years that uh, McDermott and Frazier have been here. They took a bit of a dip in 18, but in 17 and 19, they were really good. And it's been the hallmark. That's how Sean McDermott became a head coach. He's been a very good defensive coordinator. Leslie Frazier, too. He's been a very good defensive coach. Um, you know, they do have some personal changes up front. Uh, they did lose Star Latula late to an opt-out, and then they lost Jordan Phillips uh, in free agency and Shaq Lawson in free agency. Now, that said, I don't think anybody anticipated that that would have that big of an impact because they signed Quentin Jefferson from over there in Seattle, obviously. Uh, Vernon Butler came from Carolina. They have that Oliver. But, you know, I-, I think that the hallmark of the defensive line that the Bills create is athleticism and a bit undersized. And they're missing that space eater. They're missing the guy like a star to really keep the linebackers clean. And that's really hurt them in the run game. Plus, they've had some injuries. Matt Milano's a fantastic player, and he's been hurt. He's dealing with a pec injury. I don't even know. I don't think he's going to play this week. Um, that's really hurt them as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's been a combination of some things. I think the biggest thing for the Bills this year is, as opposed to years past, where they can kind of cover everything and do everything well, they have to pick their. They have to pick this year, and if they want to stop the run, they'll stop the run. If they want to stop the pass, they, they'll stop the pass. But they can't really do all of it at once. All right, Sal. Let's talk about your quarterback, Josh Allen. I watched this dude on film. He was obviously in the MVP talks. What the first four or five weeks uh, takes a couple losses to two really good football teams. But I watched film on this kid, and he's tough. He has an arm. He has some weapons. I think last week they may have found their recipe on how to use him efficiently throughout this year. What are your thoughts on Josh Allen so far? Well, you know, he's been really the antithesis of what you see from quarterbacks these days. When they come in the league, a lot of times they either have it or they don't. And if they don't, usually the, the, there's a coach that gets fired, a GM, they reset the position, and there's all this change and chaos. Look at the 18 class. Baker Mayfield's had that. Sam Darnold's had that. Josh Rosen's obviously had that. You know, Josh, he has him. What Josh has had is an actual organization that's put a really strong amount of structure around him and development around him, and they've really progressed him along the way. He took a really big jump from year one to year two, and then another massive jump from year two to the start of year three this year. And you just don't see that in quarterbacks. Teams, organizations don't have that kind of patience anymore, right, guys? But they have with Josh Allen, and that's why he's really now you're seeing the fruits of all that labor that they've done with him. And, you know, getting a guy like Stephon Diggs obviously helps they've improved the talent around him. But the biggest thing is, um, you know, the last few games, he, he hasn't played nearly as poorly as a lot of the media want you to believe. I, I think he's had one bad game this year. That was Kansas City. Uh, he's, he played poorly in that game. Other than that, he actually, I didn't think, played too badly in the Tennessee game they lost. And last week he was 70%, 300 yards. They just didn't score touchdowns. Um, he, he's, he's improved his accuracy. I think he, we can throw that out that he can't teach accuracy. He's worked on it. He's done a lot. He's 13th in the league in completion percentage now. Um, but he is tough as nails. He's a great athlete, and that really helps him 
do a lot of things back there. You know, we uh, being here in the northwest Seattle, anybody close to Canada doesn't quite get all the recognition they deserve. Buffalo being one of those. So uh, the reason why I'm throwing that out is you got a player named Jordan Poyer who's from Oregon State up here in the northwest. You know, I, I football people know who he is. But the, the, if I asked, you know, just somebody who is a football fan, they may not know who he is. This guy is unbelievable. Just talk about him both as his play as well as what he's like as a person. He is the Bills version of Jamal Adams. That's the best way I could put it for Seattle Seahawks fans. And I'm not saying that he's a, as good of a player as Jamal. I think Jamal's a, a fantastic player. But Jordan Floyer is a really good football player. And he's, a, he's even a better football player because he has Micah Hyde next to him, by the way, guys. You know, together, I would say separately, I would not put Jordan or Micah in the top five safeties in the league. They might be pretty close to that. But together, I think they form the best tandem or at least close to maybe top three in the entire NFL. They're so good together. They play off each other so well. Um, Jordan, they use them all around uh, the defense, like they do in Seattle with Jamal, and you know he's he's top ten in tackles this year. Now, not the greatest thing when your when your safety is leading your team in tackles, but that's because they use him like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. But as a person, the, the the best part about Jordan as a person is how far he's come. You know, as a leader, he's actually a captain this year. He was never a captain before. He's been in Buffalo. This is a, he got a contract extension in the off season. He was named a team captain this year. He came from Cleveland. He had some injuries. No one really knew who he was. Um, the Bills uh, had a coach on staff who recommended him as a free agent to Sean McDermott. They looked into him, they signed him, and he's really blossomed here. He's done a really good job. You know, it's it's remarkable because he's he's on pace for about 100. And he's got 69 tackles right now. He's on pace for mm-hmm. probably close to 150. He's got two sacks. But, you know, in today's age, he's six foot, 191 pounds. You know, but just tough yeah. as now. I, I just uh, enjoy, enjoy watching. But a lot, a lot of guys. By the way, like he's that. also, he was. He was drafted in Major League Baseball. <laughs> That's how good of an athlete he was as well. He was drafted by the Florida Marlins. Let's talk about one of our um, our old players. You know how the Seahawks do, man. We we keep tabs on guys who <laughs> used to be here, and eventually they make their way, their, their way back to Seattle. Um, how's Quinn Jefferson looking on that defensive line? Q's great. You guys probably you know you know he's just a great guy, right? Yeah, you know every time great. you know this is a different year. I I've never had a chance to meet him face to face because of the COVID year and not in the locker room this year. Uh, but every time we do Zoom calls with him and things like that, you know, he's just he's really good. He's, he's got a great personality. Um, he fits this culture really well, and I'm sure he did. I think I think Pete Carroll, you know, what I know about him, and I think he would fit in Seattle really well. And I know there were a lot of people who wanted them to wanted them to keep him, and you know, they weren't able to. And the Bills, I think, got a really nice player here, and he fits what the Bills want to do schematically because he can play outside and he can play inside. And the Bills, you know, they they move guys around with the defensive line, like I was saying earlier. So. You know, he really plays well, I think, in this particular scheme. He's done a nice job. Um, you know, the D-line overall is probably underperformed when it comes to stopping in the run game, but I wouldn't put that on any one individual necessarily. I just think it's the philosophy they run and the fact that, you know, they just don't have the bigger defensive linemen to match up with some of the more physical offensive lines they play in the league. Yeah, Quentin's definitely missed. We've we've always had him on our show every year, and you know, as you mentioned, he's just he's he's quality human being and a great yeah. interview. Um, so talk again. There's a lot of names out there. I mean, getting digs was a, a big deal, and again, I think offensively, you guys are are going to be a handful. But talk about some players maybe that uh, our listeners don't know about that are, are having an impact for Buffalo. Well, you mentioned Stephon Diggs. You guys know about him, you know, but what really. The guy that makes the offense tick, I think, is John Brown, the wide receiver. And, and, and that's part of the reason why they haven't played as well lately is he's been out and he's been hurt. 
Uh, he missed the Tennessee game. They didn't play very very well. He comes back against Kansas City. He just couldn't run away from anyone, guys. I, I was down there. I'm the sideline reporter on the radio network, and I'm down in the moat watching him. He just couldn't run away, and the Bills couldn't really use him. Uh, he, he he missed another game. When he's out there, he really makes everybody else's job a lot easier because he can stretch the defense. He can run every route in the route tree. And then, you know, you got a guy like Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley underneath. But I think the running backs don't get enough credit here. It's because the Bills' running game, the numbers aren't, they don't wow you. But I'll tell you what, guys, they got two good young running backs. Devin Singletary, Motor, is his nickname they call him. Um, he's in his second year. And this guy is, you know, he'll make you miss in a phone booth. He's super elusive. He can do a lot of things. But they've paired him now with Zach Moss. And Zach Moss has had a really good last two weeks. And, you know, if you're a Seahawks fan, you don't really know much about Zach Moss. You might learn a little bit about him this week. He's finally starting to get a little bit more of the carries. Uh, he, he's over a toe injury he had. And he's a punishing runner. In fact, when he was drafted in his um, – uh, post-draft press conference, he told us, he said, I want defenders to have to make business decisions. He loved, He would rather run over you than around you. <laughs> I like that mentality. Used to have that mentality here for a few years with uh, Marshawn Lynch and the gang. Yeah, um, that's right. Last one we got for you, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. These are two of the best receivers in the league. This defense only has four interceptions so far. How do you expect them to handle these two? Well, I'll give you a stat of the day for you guys, a stat of your show. Yeah, I, I was talking about this on our radio this morning. I was looking it up. Um, you know, the Seahawks, as you know, are great at the big play. They actually, they're second in the league with six pass plays of 40 yards or more. The Bills are actually number one in the league, only allowing one pass play an entire year of 40 yards or more. So it's not about the takeaways and the interceptions. It comes back to the Bills just don't allow big plays on defense. And the one big play they have allowed this year it was actually a simple catch off the line of scrimmage, and Jameson Crowder broke a couple tackles, and he went 60 yards to the house. So they have not allowed anything at all over the top this year, and they've consistently been number one or two in the league in that category. They aren't getting the takeaways. They haven't. Those need to come. Travis White is exceptional. He's an all-pro. We know that. I don't know what the plan will be. I assume, and my guess would be, they're going to play the Seahawks the way they played the Chiefs, which is don't let everything – they held Tyree Kill to 20 yards receiving. And they basically said, hey, look, we're not going to let you throw on us. But – the difference was the Chiefs ran for 245 yards. And I don't know, I don't think the Seahawks are necessarily equipped to do that, and I don't think they want to do that. But the Bills are going to do whatever they can to make sure the Seahawks will work for everything they have to get and have to keep everything underneath. And they've been very successful at that, uh, whoever they've played. This, this is how far the, the Seahawks have changed, where you just said the Seahawks don't want to run the football. <laughs> there was a time that we weren't allowed to throw the football, and now it's uh, it, what, what, a, what a change. I will say this. I am 70 degrees. That'll be fun. I it's kind of there's two huge home field advantages. One's in Buffalo, one's yep. in Seattle. It's a shame the fans aren't aren't able to to partake in that. Oh man, guys, we're missing it so much, you know. And I've I've been on the uh, radio network now. It's my seventh year, so I travel with the team. I go to all these stadiums. I was there Monday night a few years ago. Classic game, a great game, came down to the end. You know, with Tyrod at quarterback, and, and and you're right. I think that you know that stadium, those fans, we all know, incredible. And the same thing here. We are missing that home field advantage this year. There's no fans allowed here uh, this year. We're not traveling as a radio crew to the road games like most aren't this year. So, you know, it's just, it's just been a different year. Can't wait till we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Um, we can get after it. But, you know, as far as this, this week, uh, it's funny. I know, I know you guys got let Russ cook up there. Um, you know, people are saying this week in response to that, because of the 
Seahawks struggles on defense, let Josh cook. So we're calling it a cook-off because it's 70 <laughs> degrees here in Buffalo. It's going to be a good one. Hey, we call that a cook-out where I'm from, yeah. Sal. We call that a cook-out. Well, we're looking forward to it. And honestly, I'm going to take that set that you just told us, and I'm going to say it like I never heard it before on Sunday in the Hawks pregame show. <laughs> so okay. I, That's I okay, appreciate man. that, man. And I appreciate you. Six, six plays of 40 yards or more, and the Bills have only allowed one play of 40 yards or more. There it is. We'll give you credit. It's in there. Hey, appreciate you uh, staying up and dealing with us. Sal, have a good one, man. All right, you guys too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was good. Good, good, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, coming up next, we turn up the heat a little bit. Two men enter, but there can only be one winner. Paul Moyer and I talk that talk. Don't go anywhere. It's Hawks Live. Say it with your chest. It's time to talk that talk with Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live. It's time to talk that talk. That's when me and Paul Moyer square off and just get some things off of our chest. You know what this reminds me of? You know Mike Tyson is going to fight Roy Jones Jr.? Yeah. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. This is uh, this is Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. So if, if you and I were those two, which one would you be? Which one would I be? You already know what I'm going to say. I'm Tyson, right? I'm Tyson. No, no you're not big enough. <laughs> hey, I'm Tyson. You're Roy. Nah, man. You're willing to come up a class. Mike Tyson is like 5'10". Yeah, 5'11". but I'm talking weight. Hey, I could put on 20 before the fight. You could put on 20 and still be 20 less than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the first thing we're going to get into, Paul. Bill Belichick is making excuses for his 2-5 and five start. By his football team. He says, we sold out to win a Super Bowl and have less to work with in 2020. Is he making excuses or is he just being real? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm waiting for my notes to come up that I was <laughs> riding on the plane. Open up. Of course, not opening up. Um, a couple of things on that one. Uh, one is part of its excuses because I think and it ties into Tom Brady left, right? So I got to make excuses of, well, we put everything we had into that and we don't have any salary cap. And and I brought in this minimum wage million dollar quarterback who was an MVP. You know what I'm saying? So a a bit of, well, actually more than a bit, a, a lot of excuses. But here's, here's my closing on this. Okay. You know what we just learned? What's that? Players win. I don't care how great a coach you are. If you don't got the horses, I don't care how great a coach you are. I mean, you coach. I mean, you got to have the horses. So now I'm bringing it back to the Seahawks. You know what guy has never won a best of the best, you know, coach of the year, GM of the year, Schneider. And I don't care. Look, as great a coach, and we know Pete Carroll's a fantastic coach. He's proven that through USC and here. Man, you got to have the horses. You've got to have the players. Yep. And it just made me realize how, how valuable John Schneider is to this team. He always gives the Seahawks a chance to win. And you have good coach, and you take that to the next level. Bill Belichick is finding out for the very first time and since he's been at New England, I'm not as great a coach as I thought I was. i, I got to have some horses. I agree with you. He needs his horses. He needs his personnel. And he says, we sold out. So I'm like, all right, what does selling out mean? What did they do? to put them in this predicament. Now, 
Okay, they have a million in cap cap space. They still owe Tom Brady 13.5, AB 4.5, Michael Bennett 2 mil. They signed Gilmore to 26 mil. A bunch of numbers, right? A lot of a lot of numbers going out there. So he's saying, you know what, my, my hands are tied. What do I do? We brought in Cam Newton. We're only paying him a million dollars. He is speaking facts, but it is excuses. And the reason why I don't want to hear that, Bill, is because you won for 20 years, Bill. Uh. I'm holding up an L. I'm holding up an L. Is that, the, is that right in front that's of his L, forehead? L, no. Loser? Below the chin. Below the Take chin. Take L on the chin. Okay. No one wants to hear a guy who's been at 10 Super Bowls, 1-6, had all this success, complain, oh, well, we don't have our guys. I, I feel no sympathy from you. Be the guy who doesn't want to answer questions in the press conference. If it's, it's such a basic question that you make a reporter feel dumb for asking the question, be that guy and just don't say nothing to say we're just not good enough. We're just not good enough. This is the first time where Bill is making excuses. No one wants to hear that. You, you've had too much success for you to sit here and make excuses. Take the L on the chin like the Bengals have been doing, like the Browns have been doing, <laughs> like the Dolphins have been doing. It's your turn, Bill. Yeah. Take it on the chin, man. I like it. Okay. You got the next one. What's the next one, Paul? All right. The, the next one. Um... The Seahawks, this is a good one. I had a good conversation uh, today about this. Are the Seahawks better off without Jadavion uh, uh, Clowney, who right now has 15 tackles, three for loss, no sacks in 2020? Are they better off without him, or would they have been better off with him? I'm going to say they are better off without him. And I'm going to say that because it has allowed the Seahawks to make other moves. You're not, you didn't get a bunch of production out of him when it came to sacks and all that stuff, but he did have games where he had turnovers, he had touchdowns. I get all that. But I feel like this defense needed more than just that one guy. They needed several guys. Mm -hmm. And this week, you might get snacks. You got Dunlap. You got Jamal. Mm. That defense, personnel-wise, has gotten better. If you just keep Clowney here and say, okay, everyone else get better. We're just going to keep this guy here. I, I think this defense is better. It's worse this year than it is last year. Yeah, the, the way the question's written initially went, well, of course we would be better off with him. He's a really good football player, and he is a fantastic football player. He's just not a dominant dominant pass rusher. He yeah. never has. He doesn't have those moves. He's a guy. He's a hustle guy. I love his game. He's an all-around player. Great in the run game. I mean, you, yes, you would love to have him because you can't have enough good football players. But when you take in everything, the, all the context to it of salary cap and who can you sign, here, here's the to me, it's this is the I guess the, the answer. Would you rather have Jamal Adams or Clowney? Adams all day. So that's what it is, right? Yeah. Because we couldn't afford them both. There's no way. I mean, we gave him 12 to $15 million, what he was asking. So I think the Seahawks, because you're right, we don't get Dunlop. We, maybe we don't get snacks. Probably get snacks. You know, just the, the depth. Maybe we don't even get Dunbar. You yeah. Know? I mean, so right. there, there's a lot of things we don't have. And to me, I think we're better off because of that. And, man, we didn't even mention Bruce Irvin. Probably still would have been able to get Bruce Irvin. But yeah. another guy that this defense is missing. Okay. If the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, this will be the best coaching job of Pete Carroll's career. Well, Yes. I mean, obviously, you know, if we win this one and, and mainly because, you know, we won in 2013, we, we knew what we had and we were fantastic yeah. on the defense, you know, historically fantastic on, on the defense. We but you know what? It wasn't a consistent team. You know, it, it, offensively, it took us a while to get our groove. You know, unlike in, in 2012 where we went on an unbelievable run the end of the season offensively, yeah. you know, th- that team was very different. And so I look at it in two ways. I go, one is 
I guess because of the way the defense is playing for them to, him to rally and keep them in the game and for us to go on and win a Super Bowl and to be 6-1 and one right now with a historically bad statistical defense. Yeah. I, I think, again, by the end of the year, we're going to be playing top 15-10 defense the last four or five games of the year. I, I believe that. So, yes, when, where we are there, but if I look at the talent – I mean, look at defensively what we have. I mean, you start looking at four, five, six potential pro bowlers. Offensively, we're loaded across the board. You know, I can make a case that... uh, Can you say that? Can you really say six pro bowlers on the worst defense in the NFL? I'm just saying on paper. I mean, Griffin's been in the the pro bowl. The whole secondary, right? The four starting secondary guys are pro bowl caliber guys. You throw in our two linebackers who have both been to a pro bowl. They're six. I could make a case for Reed at times. I mean, you know... Go back two years ago when he had the sack pro bolt. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at there's six, there's seven. You know, so I, there's no reason for this defense to be struggling the way they've been struggling. So if it's not the personnel, Paul Moore, yes, then it has to do with the scheme. So if so, I guess the question again: if they win the Super Bowl, is this the best coaching job he's ever had? I will say yes, because I, I think in 13, you're, you're talking about Hall of Fame guys. I yeah. mean, across the board. But I could flip this one on you, too. Okay. What if they don't get to the NFC Championship? It's All the players, would this be one of his it could be the worst. underachieving coaching it, it, jobs? It, it could be. And, yeah. you know, let me get back to the original question. Yes, I think it would be the best because he has shown that he can change. He can say, look, yeah. we're going to get away from running the football. We're going to let Russell do point. his thing. Yep. Uh, defensively, he's been kind of stubborn until last week. Last week we saw some things that we saw week one and two when Jamal Adams was available. Now, if they don't get to the NFC Championship, it's a huge disappointment. This team is ready to go. Because of the things you said, you look at them on paper on defense, ballers. Look at them on paper on offense, ballers. It all has to come together, and this might be the week, Paul. After last week's defensive performance, this might be the week. So – Yes, it would be his best coaching job. Then. Yes, and and I agree. And the point you made, and I know we got to wrap it. It's the way he's changed. He went from a running, we're going to do it no matter what, to let's take the take, take the helm. All right, we got it all figured out. It's the best. It would be the best if they win the Super Bowl. Well, coming up next, we got you covered with all things Seahawks and the NFL. As the Professor John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Sorry, yes, sir. It's that time. It's Thursday. It's 745. You hear James Brown in the background. That means we're talking to John Clayton. John, how you doing, sir? Well, John's not there. Oh, there I'm, he is. Oh, there he is. I'm, I'm just wondering how much of the 12s are enjoying watching the San Francisco 49ers now looking like the new Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is a tough one because part of me is like, yeah, just knock San Francisco out. I don't like them. But, you know, when you – I'm kind of starting to feel sorry for him. Have to, and, and more importantly, I'd just I'd prefer Green Bay to lose. They, yeah. They've never yeah. been a good matchup for us. Yeah, but of course now what you're looking at is that you know Nick Mullins did well coming in for what 250 yards of passing in the fourth quarter uh, in a comeback when they were down by 20 points, which was 
pretty much meaningless. <clears throat> and now he looks terrible. You know, they have so many problems. I mean, how about the fact that <clears throat> they end up, you know, being pretty much down to almost two receivers? I know they brought up uh, Tyler Craycraft from the uh, practice squad <clears throat> and trying to get a couple, another running back off the practice squad. But, I mean, they look absolutely terrible. Nick Mullins right now has to be close enough to being benched to go to C.J. Beathard after having a good fourth quarter against Seattle. But, I mean, this looks really bad. And next week they have to go against New Orleans. And so pretty much the 49ers are out of it. So now it's becoming a three-team race in the NFC West. You know, John, one of my buddies who's a 49er fan texted me and said, Nick Mullins is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at the fourth quarter. He's not very smart, is he, John? No, not really. No. I mean, again, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, whoever texted you didn't realize that a couple weeks ago when Jimmy Garoppolo ended up after the mistake of Kyle Shanahan of putting him out there with that 7-for-17 performance with the bad high ankle sprain, and then they come back and they go to Nick Mullins, what did they do the next week? They went to C.J. Beathard. It's like, okay, if Mullins is that good, are you going to stay with him? So they ended up going to Beathard, and you almost have to think they're on the verge of doing the same thing. And, I mean, this thing is really bad. I counted up today. Now, again, they have two opt-outs, but if you count, don't count the two opt-outs, they have 22 players on a reserve list, whether it's going to be injured reserve, PUP, anything like that. 22 players. And, of course, you've got uh, three of those included in that, or four of those, and COVID's testing. And so uh, the, the left tackle, Trent Williams, he has been, uh, he's got a positive, not that he didn't get a positive uh, COVID's test because it was really Kendrick Bourne. And so because he was in the room with him, they had to keep him out of the game, but his replacement has given up three sacks. John, a lot of players coming back, and new, both new and old. You know, guys getting healthy and and some uh, some trades as well. Talk about some of the roster moves this week, and and what's that mean moving forward for the Hawks? Well, you have to think that uh, there's got to be a, a bunch of roster moves. They cut Luke Wilson. You know, Demontre Moore ended up getting suspended, so that opens up a roster space. And then you know, you figure that uh, Damon Snacks Harrison has got to be his week. You know that uh, Carlos Dunlap has now been on the on the active roster. Roster. I mean, he's been cleared from the exempt list. Uh, you figure Rasheen Green is going to probably be available. Uh, you figure Philip Dorsett is probably going to go on injured reserve because he had the bone spur surgery. So there's going to be a lot of uh, moves. But, I mean, look at the reinforcements. You're talking about the best safety in the game, Jamal Adams, coming back. He'll be back. You've got Dunlap. You'll see his debut. You'll see Damon Snacks Harrison, his debut. And then, you know, whatever other moves they can make, uh, I think that uh, that bodes well for this team. John, this defense performed better than most weeks last week against the 49ers. What do you think it was, and should we expect this type of play to continue? Well, again, it's going to be a little bit tougher because Garoppolo did not look good. And I think he was still lingering because of the problems with the ankle. So now it's going to be better offense coming from Josh Allen because he's healthy. I mean, he's got the best, one of the top three wide receiver groups in football. And so that's going to make it a little bit tougher. But, uh, you know, I, I think overall, 
the defense just has to make – it's going to come down to the pass rush, as it always does, and the secondary. Now, of course, the one thing that I think that you can see is that they're going to probably have a pretty heavy blitzing scheme because you saw how well Bobby Wagner did getting the two sacks, the pressures, and getting defensive player of the a week in the NFC. And now you got Jamal Adams coming back, and you know he's played Buffalo two times a year, and Josh Allen, so he'll know what to do. So I think that you now that could be a heavy dose, but also – Aside from that, the key has to be getting Shaquem Griffin back. He didn't practice today, which is probably unfortunate because of the hamstring. I know he's still got a concussion issue right now. But, you know, they need Shaquem. They need uh, Quentin Dunbar. You know, they need Trey Flowers. You know, they need, uh, of course, uh, you know, DJ Reed, who did a great job last week. They need as much as they can to control this game. But what is it? I think the over-under is like 55. And you figure the way this team has been this year, it's probably going to be the over as far as scoring. John, a couple uh, player-wise. Um, one, you know, a year ago, if you had said, hey, we had a chance to get Vic Beasley, former Atlanta Falcon guy who had 15 and a half sacks and then signs as a free agent this year with Tennessee, gets released, you know, mm-hmm. halfway through the season. I, one, what's what's going on there? And then I, I got a follow-up question. Is there any chance he ends up as a Seahawk? I, I can't see why not. I mean, because, you know, he's going to want to try to come to a good team. And, you know, he's been with Dan Quinn, who knows the Seahawks. Uh, he knows the Seahawks defense and all that stuff. And he went to... Uh, Tennessee and was terrible. I mean, he came 10 days late because of some medical issue is what uh, the general manager said. They didn't describe what the the medical issue was. I mean, he had three tackles in the games that he's played and has been a non-factor. But of course, I was going through this, Paul, is that, you know, think about this was not a good year to try to go and pay a uh, defensive end, linebacker, edge edge rusher. And why is I say that? You know, Dante Fowler got $15 million a year. And, you know, he has the same number of sacks, too, as Benson Mayoa and Jamal Adams. I mean, you look at the fact that they had Jadevian Clowney at $13 million and Vic Beasley at $9.5 million. They had zero sacks. And so, uh, the, the really, Emmanuel Ogba, who went to uh, Miami, Miami as a linebacker. I mean, he's had like a little over five or six sacks. And of course, you got Alden Smith, who had been out of football five years. You know, he's had about five, but you've had very few players as edge rushers doing good things. I mean, you know, Everson Griffin ended up getting two and a half sacks for Dallas uh, before he was traded. And uh, that didn't work out because he went to Minnesota. And so this was not a good year to try to go and acquire uh, edge rushers. And so I think that, uh, you know, the Dunbar the Dun, Dun, the Dunlap deal was a good deal because I think he can help. But overall, this was just a tough year. But I think if you're Seattle, you've got to consider Beasley. Because, again, Beasley's going to make $9.5 million. That's not going to change. He's already guaranteed that. So he can come and take the minimum salary and uh, you know come here to Seattle and try to at least be an option. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting year. And I'd, I'd read earlier, I think it was last year in free agency, that he, was, he wanted to be a Seahawk. But we'll, we'll see how that plays. Okay, time. This is your time, John. This is our favorite moment. Uh, what do you want to talk about? The the mic is yours. Well, because I was surprised because you always ask each week what people haven't asked about. And why was there a 30% decrease in trades? The trade deadline was Tuesday, and it turned out there was only 73 trades this year after 105 last year and 102. And so much of it was well, a couple things. One was a pandemic because now it takes longer to get players on the roster. 
Like if you make a trade on Tuesday, you can't get him on the roster till the next week. Secondly, everybody is so worried about picking up a big salary because next year the cap could go down $20 million. And so what you saw, it was a lot of guys going for sixth and seventh round picks were not big names. And so that wasn't the case. And so this was not a big trade year. The pandemic played part of it. The fact that there was no preseason, that played part of it as far as preseason games, no offseason program. So everybody was kind of looking at the roster that late. And so it really turned out to be kind of a wash this year for trades. Well, if they would have just talked to you, John, and you let them know everything that you thought, there might have been more trades this year, but everyone's I could have talked them into it, yeah. Well, they, <laughs> look, they don't all have our segment with John they like don't. we do. They don't. They, there you go. They ain't got it like us. Well, John, hey, thanks again. I get to talk to you twice on Thursday, so nice talking to you again. And as always, keep it funky, baby. Got to do it. Good stuff. Thanks, John. Thanks. All right, coming up next, we chat with Seahawks Corner DJ Reed right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. Michael Bumpus, Paul Moyer, Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. And this is the moment of the show. That's defense two weeks in a row, Paul. And should be. (laughs) We're talking to corner DJ Reed. DJ, how you doing, man? I'm good. Uh, my girl, she's doing an interview, too, right now, so you can probably hear her. Hey. So, my fault if you could hear her, but I'm doing good. Your, your, yours is more important because uh, the whole world's listening right now. <laughs> no worries, man. I got you. Power couple all day. Hey, so, DJ, you're from Cali, Bakersfield. I'm from Cali. I'm from Culver City. I was telling my okay. guy, Paul Moyer, right here. Who's what? That- that little orange county county orange county we got it all covered so i grew up liking the 49ers unfortunately who was your (laughs) team growing up my team was the Colts. ironically wow Um, Wow. i don't even know why i just like the Colts. i like peyton benny bob sanders was a dog betia um dwight freeney they had you know tony gonzalez they had all type of Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was my team growing up. So I, I'm reading yeah. uh, Independence High School, which I'm going to ask a, a, a bit here, Kansas State University, Cerritos College. So I went to Fullerton Junior College. So I got a little okay. love for yeah, my for my JC guys. Back we back yeah. when I was playing, We we there's some good teams. Cerritos, some really good teams. So just talk about that. Yeah. Cerritos? How you got there yeah. from Bakersfield, and then and then and then the transition to K State. Yeah, so I walked on to Fresno State my true freshman year. Didn't work out. Uh, then I went to JUCO, which I went to Cerritos Community College. Um, I went to three schools. I went to Mount Sac. Yeah. Um, I believe no, no, my fault. Two schools: Mount Sac and Cerritos. And we ended up going to Cerritos just for the, the academics we felt were better over there because I wanted to get out in one year. So that's the decision I made, and it worked out. And then how, how did K-State? And, you know, I went to Arizona State. They At that time, they recruited a lot of JUCO guys as well. But uh, just a decision, who else were you recruited by and how you ended up getting to Kansas, Kansas State? Yeah, so my first offer was from Indiana State, a small D1AA, and I took my visit there, but I wanted to go somewhere bigger uh, than Fresno State. And then my next offer was Kansas State, so that was the first big school to offer me. And after Kansas State offered me, my next offer was from Miami, 
and I start they start rolling in Miami, Arkansas, Nebraska, Syracuse, et cetera, et cetera, Colorado. But um, I only I only uh, took two visits, and that was Indiana State and Kansas State. And the reason why I commit to Kansas State is because they were the first big school to take a risk on me. Um, they were the first big school to offer me, and then my cousin went there. Um, McGill, he went there, and then Darren Sproles, he went there. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so. Tyler, Tyler Lockett didn't pull you over, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, Lockett, yeah, Lockett, too, but um, Terrence Newman. So I was just, you know, I was very intrigued when I went on my visit, seeing the fans, because we went to a basketball game, and it just felt good. So it felt right. Yeah, man, got it. You got to go with what feels right, especially when you're being recruited. My my next question for you, DJ, yeah. is, man, one, congratulations on the pick. Two, I want to thank you for bringing back celebrations. The Hawks receiver crew had <laughs> celebration for days last week. Uh, what made you? It was was a hot potato. Is that what I was saying? Yeah, it was a form of hot potato. I really just wanted all my guys to touch the ball so they could get that confidence. Because once you get a pick, once you touch that football, man. You know, your hands just feel ten times bigger. So I just wanted all my all my guys to touch the ball and I felt like me getting that pick was contagious to everybody eating on the defense. Hey, tell us about the whole you've got the you get the peck injury, you get released by the forty ers the Seahawks pick you up, and John Schneider's always looking out for that type of opportunity. But but talk about the injury. Were were you surprised to be released and then just uh, how quickly the whole thing with the Seahawks transpired yeah i wouldn't say i was surprised to be released it was it was definitely something that could happen i wasn't naive to that but i was a little surprised with just with how everything went down because when i tore my pack after i tore it um basically when they called me you know when i when i got the call from lynch to come up there and talk to him he just basically said like Nobody would be. Nobody would take me. It would be extremely rare. Nobody would pick me up. Like I would just, you know, come back next year to the Niners. So, and even my agent told me that because that, that's just rare for someone to pick you up with a torn pet, you know. Yeah. So my mindset just went from okay, I'm gonna just spend this time with my family and just relax and, <laughs> you know, take this time to get closer to God and just chill with my family. And then the next day when they called me, um, my agent told me three teams were very interested, and it was the Bills, it was the Seahawks, and the Texans. And then the Seahawks pulled the string at 12 o'clock. And um, obviously when they pulled the string, my mindset changed completely, and I wanted to rehab and get back into playing football again. Man, that's awesome. I love – those type of stories because those are the type of things that people don't really know about you know there are battles that athletes go through uh, when they're not healthy and just being mentally tough so man i'm glad you got a, another chance to live your dream and make the most out of an opportunity first game back against the team that uh told you that no one was going to pick you up and you get a pick man did you did you say something to somebody out there or, <laughs> or what was that like yeah, I mean, honestly, I kept it professional, man, because at the end of the day, I understand this is a business, and you don't ever want to burn bridges. And, you know, Lynch came up to me before the game and said, it's great to see you out here. Um, he was just like, it's good seeing you. And, you know, I dapped him up. And same as Hightower, the special teams coach, he uh, 
he showed me love before the game and just said, uh, miss you, man, love you and all that. So, you know, I just responded back, I love you too, I appreciate it. But obviously I was focused on the game. And then uh, afterwards, you know, I got love from Saul, the defensive coordinator, um, and also, you know, a lot of the guys. You know, I told I told Dr. McAdams, that's the team doctor over there, he did both of my surgeries. So I had surgery on my pec um, recently, and then my rookie year I had surgery on my labrum. And I just told him thank you for the successful surgeries he's done because he, he did a great job with the surgeries that I've had. So, you know, it was all love at the end of the day, but obviously, you know what I'm saying, it was definitely motivation for me to come back when we played the Niners for my first game. Like, I was definitely motivated by that. Well, we're we're happy with uh, the results. You know, it, it, interesting to, for you to talk about Lynch and, and probably Shanahan and all those guys. I mean, it just shows – it sounds like classy organization because I think you hear a lot from yeah. former players as well when they leave the Seahawks also. And, you know, that that's good to, good to hear, bad for the Seahawks because that means uh, the battle between the 49ers is going to live on. Uh, I'm going to move to Buffalo because – yeah, Buffalo, man. You hear Buffalo forever, twenty years. You play in Buffalo. Buffalo's pretty good. I mean, they're six and two. This Josh Allen, I mean, he's, I think he's the real deal too. I mean, athletic, strong arm. They got some great receivers. Diggs, obviously, Cole Beasley. Talk about the challenges in this game coming up. Yeah, I look at it. This is going to be a, a great matchup. It's going to be fun. I feel like our defense is starting to mold and click. You know, we're getting some key guys back. Um, Jamal, um, Dunlap, we're getting a lot of, you know, guys back. So it's going to be, you know, very fun to see how everything gels together. Um, but, you know, Josh Allen, he's a great quarterback. You know, he has a big frame, 6'5", I believe, 230-something. So he's really like a, a tight end when he's running the ball out there. So, you know, you got to be ready to bring him down. Um, he has a great arm. So he's definitely a, a great dual, a dual threat. Um, same as Diggs, he's uh, their go-to receiver. He's very good in and out of his breaks, explosive. You know what I'm saying? Does a good job after the catch. So we're going to have to do a great job on him. Same as Cole Beasley. You know, he's been doing it for a while now. Um, just very productive in the slot. So, man, we're looking forward to the matchup. It's going to be very fun. Like, that's what we live for is a play on Sunday. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure everybody's looking forward to the challenge. Man, love the mentality. We're talking to DJ Reed here on Hawks Live. DJ, before I let you go, I got a question for you. What is it like in the DB room? Now, my experience is you DBs, man. You guys talk the most trash. We're just confident. Got, yeah. Confident, super competitive. You know, what? what's it yeah. like in that DB room? And who's the loudest in that DB room? <laughs> I would say, man, uh, honestly, you know, DBs were outspoken. And I would say in our film room, if we don't agree with something, you know, we speak up, and I feel like that's growth. Because you don't want a DB room that's quiet, that just says, you know, yes, like you're just yes man to the coaches. Like if we have a problem with something or we feel like we're in an uncomfortable situation as far as on the field, we speak up. And um, our coaches, Coach Dre, he does a great job of listening and bringing it, you know, forward to uh, Pete Carroll to see what we could do to make things better because, you know, Everything isn't perfect, but we got to find a way to get the job done, and I feel like everyone communicates that. What is saying? Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. You said what? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. As far as the most outspoken man, I don't know, man. We got a lot of guys that you know <laughs> that speak their mind, so I, I can't really say there's one person that stands out. 
A lot of personalities in there. And, Michael, what he's saying is we usually talk about the wide receivers, how we can make them better people, better players. Okay? So hey, well, we appreciate your contribution to society, <laughs> you DBs out there. Hey, DJ, man, appreciate you taking time. Um, Cali, stand up. We got to represent. got three right. Cali dudes right here, man. Uh, continued success. Keep doing your thing, man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. All right, coming up next, we'll go inside the film room and revisit the biggest plays from the Seahawks win over the 49ers. That's around a corner on Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live every Thursday with me and Paul Moyer on 710 ESPN. Do you even know who this ESPN. is? I'm going to just say Led Zeppelin. I don't know who is this, Paul. I thought this was your bump music. No, it's your bump music. Oh, no, I think this is the Cars, man. No, this is no. No. No, I don't know who it is. No, you don't. I don't know who it is. I thought I I was waiting for some hip-hop or some anything where I could surprise you. Last week we set the tone. So they're they're playing stuff that they think that you're going to know. This week? Yeah, that's what they're doing. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you, baby. Matt, we're going to have to have a conversation. (laughs) All right, we're going inside the film room. This first play we're going to break down is the guy we just spoke to, DJ Reed, intercepts Jimmy Garoppolo in the first quarter. Empty backfield, four-man rush by the Hawks. Garoppolo stops, starts, looks, throws an interception. Picked off down near the 15-yard line by the Hawks. Reaching up, making the interception, is one of the new kids on the block. DJ Reed just activated today. Reed, a former San Francisco 49er himself, Read that play perfectly, picks it off, and the Seahawks in back-to-back plays don't get a takeaway and then do get a takeaway. Quick summary. One, couldn't be happier for Reed. Yes. I mean, you know, the whole 49er thing, we just had him on for those who were listening. Awesome. Really good interception. And it just shows his quickness on Kittle, who is the best tight end in the NFL, who runs a quick out and... He's he's got he's taken the out away, comes back to make this interception. The third quick summary before I break this this play out. All right, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy G, your boy is not your boy. He's below a good quarterback. He's below below. He's, he's top fifteen. He's not top fifteen quarterbacks in the league. All right, give him fifteen, <laughs> sixteen, right in the middle. Sixteen, give him right in the middle. Okay. I mean, so let me describe this play. So first of all, they line up and they've got three wide, three wide receiver look to our left. Kittle's the third wide receiver, and they got two wide receivers. Oh no, you have to specify. You're you're talking defense to the left. That throws me off. To sometimes. the defense left. Defense left. Right, okay. and to the offense right. Thank you. And um, and then they motion McKinnon who's lined up as a kind of a fourth guy to the defense's left, offense's right. He motions to the offense's left, defense's right. And so they line up in this little stack position with with Pettis uh, there. What's really interesting is this third down and four or five, and McKinnon runs this kind of delay angle route, right? And I think it's more of an option route. He just turns and hits the sticks. He's sitting about a yard past the the first down. Why Garoppolo came off of him quick, I have no idea. I think he's looking for Pettis on the out route, Mm -hmm. and because Ryan Neal reroutes him, jams him, and this is the one thing I want to come back. I go, man, if you're listening to me, this is what (laughs) you need to do more of. We've got to challenge routes off the line of scrimmage. This little thing right here stops 
really, if you look at the other receivers on the other side, it's about a three, four-yard difference in, in um, stretching the defense, the corners, the safeties. Garoppolo, again, he's got the angle option route to McKinnon. I don't know why he comes off it, but he comes off it really quick, comes back to a secondary option, really should have probably looked for the seam route, which was open. Yep. Um, but, again, this is where Reed is – this is why we we picked him up. We kept him with this pec injury, thinking he would have a chance to come back this year. He healed quickly. His quickness and recovery on this and ball skills really good. It's a horrible throw. Yeah. It's a throw way inside, and that Kittle slips, and it's still way inside of him. Right when he's coming back to the to the inside. So great interception, horrible by the quarterback. Huge play because there were two drives in this game that they had a chance to score and jump on us early. This was the second one. We turned them away both times, and we ended up going down and scoring on this drive after. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that combination between Pettis and McKinnon, and this is why I think Jimmy Garoppolo goes off of that route quickly because in practice, Pettis has been getting an outside release on that flat defender, yep. holding that leverage. So once he saw – he didn't have leverage on that guy. He panicked, and he flips back that way. First of all, that should be your read side anyway. Wherever Kittle is in the pass game should be your read side. Um, so he goes back to Kittle. Kittle slips, yes, but Reed is in great position. Reed goes, look, you're not going to beat me outside. I'm going to keep outside leverage. Uh, I know I have help inside because that's where its help is, right? I'm going to make sure I have outside. I'm going to force you inside back to my help. Kettle slips. Jimmy throws a horrible football. Get Jimmy off schedule, and you have a chance to make plays. So here's an, an unnoticed piece to it. Stefan Sullivan is our left defensive end. He, he, he flashes. He gets pressure wide, which makes Garoppolo have to come back, step up, and Reed has just enough pressure where his foot is almost stepped on at the very end. I, I don't know if that influences him, if he doesn't like people around him, but, I, man, this Stefan Sullivan little deal could be. Experiments. It could be good. Could be good. It's you know he's got to work on his pad level. It's it's a little high. I mean it's he stands straight up. I would like tell him, hey, like a forty yard dash. We're not standing straight up right from the get go. Yeah, not standing straight up. All All right, right. this next one, I'm not saying a word. No, no, this is all on you. You're not going to say a word. Introduce it then. All right, this is this is the freak. And by the way, real quick. We call him the freak in a really positive way. <laughs> if someone called you a freak, how would you feel about that? Uh, I'm 5'11", 185, 190, so I'd be like, what you 185, exactly 190 right you now? talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. Right. I just thought yeah. maybe 193. All right. Okay. No, this what, what is... What we got here? What we got here? This is uh, first touchdown of the game, and it's the freak, and I would love to say it's a great throw, but to me, this is all DK. I, they walk the strong safety up to the line of scrimmage, and he does come. Russ looks, throws back inside, ball is caught. It's Metcalf, who makes one man now, two men miss. 30, 25, 20, turns up field. They don't touch him. Touchdown, Seahawks. How in the world did he tiptoe up the sidelines? Two defenders breaking on him, and nobody touched him. And DK Metcalf starts far on the left, comes all the way across the field, and scores from 46 out. The Seahawks are on the board first, 6 nothing. This is pure manipulation of the defense. You look at these routes that are going on. To DK's side, you have a back that is going out to the flat. He's going to take care of the flat defender. All right, you have 
Lockett, who's running a seam. You're running a seam against a one-high. Actually, it's more of a post against a one-high. You know, you're not getting this football. You're going to run right into that single safety. Then you have Hollister running a seam. Russell does a great job of looking away from DK to manipulate this defense. And now DK just gets 10 yards. He snaps his hips. Boom. Russell leads him to the middle of the field. Yes, Russell had to at least throw a, a good football there. I give, I give him a little. Leads him to the middle of the field. And after this, you know my coach, Michael uh, Levenseller, Washington State, uh, was an offensive coordinator, my receiver coach there. He goes, look, I can get you open. After that, go for what you know. I can't teach you how to run with the football in your hand. That's exactly what happened right here. Now, DK works his way across the field, makes a move on a linebacker, picks up a block from Hollister, picks up a block. Uh, excuse me, from who is, is that, that? Disley? Is that, that's Disley and Hollister out there yeah. picking up blocks, gets to the sideline, and now you get your knees up, you get on your horse, and you do what your DNA says you're best at. That is scoring touchdowns. Yeah, it could be Olsen. I'm not sure. They're, all I know is there's two tight ends yeah. that are lined up inside and outside of Tyler Lockett, and Tyler runs that deep backside sail route, right? And so sail means you're going for the flag, the, the end corner. And we could say a deep crossing route, whatever you want to say. They have seen that so many times. The safety, free safety, as you mentioned, was single. He jumps it. Yep. And so there's now basically two guys on the other side with the tight ends, and DK's going to outrun anybody who's sitting on the outside of him on a crossing route. Forget that. Look, we, we've probably spent more time on this than needed. This is just DK. He's a freak. Yeah. This is the difference between a really a 15, maybe 20-yard route, 46-yard touchdown. Now, I, I, from our, our opening, I said, you know, San Francisco's playing Green Bay at 7 nothing, and they got a guy in the end zone. It's an easy catch and, and touchdown. He doesn't drag his foot properly. It, it ends up being 7-3. That's the difference between playmakers. And the, I can be... A fantastic coach. If you give me enough DK Metcalf, Russell <laughs> William, or uh, uh, Russell Wilson, I could be an offensive coordinator, yeah. and I could be pretty good. Not as good as the one we have, but you know, I could probably get a job if I got enough of those you get guys. A job, you can get a gig out yes. there somewhere. It's thirty-two teams. Out yes. There. All right. This next play: Bobby Wagner sacks Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo takes the shotgun snap. Seven-step drop gets hit. Bobby Wagner just drills him and drops him back at the 15-yard line. Dave, you've been talking about that. Bobby has come three or four times. That time he breaks free and is in the backfield. Garoppolo is dropped, and now the Seahawks are going to get the ball back in pretty good field position. Well, really well-designed play. But, you know, I love this play so much. I, I want to hear it one more time. Here's why. Why? Because I've been waiting for Bobby to really come with it. Can we hear it one more time? Garoppolo takes the shotgun snap. Seven-step drop gets hit. Bobby Wagner just drills him and drops him back at the 15-yard line. Dave, you've been talking about that. Bobby has come three or four times. That time he breaks free and is in the backfield. Garoppolo is dropped, and now the Seahawks are going to get the ball back in pretty good field position. You know what? Here's what happened here. Here, I'll, I'll break it down for you, Paul. I'll break it down. All right, so. 
Bobby lines up over the center in the uh, the one tech position. Now, what I love about this play is that Sullivan is on a stunt. This is what I want to see. Sullivan has been rushing through the outside most of the game. He spins inside. DJ Reed makes a move, confusing the offensive line. You want to get these guys to communicate. Now, Bobby just wins his matchup one on one with the center. Oh, has man. great hands right there. It's almost like he's been down with the receivers, Paul, working on releases. Because I saw this is right here. Great. Hands, gets to the quarterback, makes the offensive line have to communicate. We need to see more of this. Yeah, you know, th- this is a really well-designed play, like I said earlier. Jordan Brooks comes in on a stunt from, you know, off to the defense's left. He's lined up on, I, I think it's Kittle at the time, the-, the receiver. He's got a long way to go. Without him, the, line- the-, the running back probably picks up to help Bobby Wagner. Yep. But the reason why I love this play, and it's actually the same as his other uh, sack also, he beats the center quick. And he's a tough guy to match up. I mean, he's so athletic. Centers have a hard time with him. He also ran over the running back in his other sack. He, he, he Two guys on this one. This one, he, again, it's just athleticism. He speed rushes the center out wide. There's, you can't, there's no way he can move his feet in the center to get him. Bobby could go almost all the way out to the tackle and come around. He's so fast and athletic. There's no way he can pick this up. And this stunt by Brooks coming in is is a reason why Wagner gets a sack because the running back doesn't come off on Brooks. Yep. Brooks ends up killing Garoppolo. So I'm I'm just excited. It's not a, a – I think we did send six guys. We need to see more of this. we got to trust our secondary to cover. I think we can. We can take chances. There's times – let's say one out of three times it doesn't work, but that one puts them in the hole, whether it's second down and 20 or third down we're off the field. I feel you. We need to see more of this, all right? Coming up next, we have Around the NFL. I want to encourage you guys to text us. You got something you want to say, text us at 710-710. But up next, a 16-team playoff. A funeral service for the 49ers. Paul Moore and I take you around the NFL. Coming up on Hawks Live, text us 710-710. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Michael Bumpers and Paul Murray every Thursday at 7 right here at CenturyLink on 710 ESPN. Paul, who is this? I need you. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. So here's the deal. Next week, just to plug our show, right, next buddy. week I will be with Matt. Okay. We will put all the bump music what do you, what, together. What do you mean with Matt? You're, you're not going to be here with me? You're gonna no, be Matt and I are going to talk okay. with, with NASA. Okay. NASA will ultimately make the decision yeah. like he always does. But I wanna, I'm going to have some input into the bump music. And we're going to see, because last week I went four for five. I'd like yeah. to think five for five, but I, yeah. I really missed the one. We're going to see how good you are okay. with Moye bump music. I'm with that. I'm with all that. Right. All right. Well, let's go around the NFL. Where is the music? Can I get the music? Now, all right, this is what we're going to do, Paul. There it is. It's official. You hear the music. It is real. All right, Paul, what are your thoughts on the potential of a 16-team playoff? Why punish the teams that were able to make it through the season without an outbreak and the number one seed who then would have to play wild card weekend? Obviously, it really depends on where you are as a fan, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're yeah. right now, if you're four and three or five and three and you're out of the playoff hunt because um, there's some good teams, you know, you're like, yeah, this is awesome uh, for the Seahawks, and, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, to me, it's disastrous. Yeah. I, I mean, there's two things. One is, why would you make the number one seed not have the opportunity to 
to have a bye week yep. and, and get rested up. And two, man, we're during COVID. There is no home field advantage. Every uh, game's a neutral game. This is the one time you, to be 10 and 6. Yeah. Because I'm not afraid of going on the road to anybody. No one's afraid to come up here to Seattle. I mean, you and I and, and NASA and the other guys, we're in the suite. We're yelling, yep. but we're not making a lot of noise. Yeah. You know, there's no one jumping off sides because of it. It's, it's <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Don't do it. Why would you reward teams? And right now I'm looking at the teams that would be re- rewarded. The Rams would be rewarded. Uh, the Bears would be rewarded. They're with three losses. Look, if we went and played the Bears or the Rams at home, first game, no bye week, right? Look, could we lose to those two teams? Absolutely. Those are good teams. You come in a full house, that's a whole nother story in Seattle. So you got to give the number one seed, number two, you got to give them some reward, right? Yeah. And the reward is a week off to get healthy. Yeah, this isn't the NBA where the number one plays to eight and you're probably just going to smash them in, in five games and, and you're good to go. This is the NFL where guys are going to be banged up. This is why you love that first-round bye. It gives you a chance to get healthy. gives you a chance to prepare. This is probably the, this is the one reason why you want that first seed. Granted, the, your path to the NFC Championship, AFC Championship is easier, but the main thing is health. Let these guys have a bye, get healthy, and prepare. I don't like this at all. I'm with you, Paul. Don't reward these teams. Doesn't make don't sense. Don't reward them. You know, it is so weird to watch the 49ers and New Orleans and the Bucks because other teams were, were battling for the number one seed with yeah. right and it, but part of me goes who cares just be healthy it's a neutral field yeah. we play well on a neutral field you know obviously we're undefeated at home right now but it's just a different year okay next question Tua got yeah. his start now, a lot of people were scratching their heads. Why would you do this? And the word on the street is that Miami has a couple of first-round picks coming up next year. So they want to see what Tua is all about. So let's get him going now. My concern was Fitzpatrick has his Fitzmagic going. Let him ride this wave. And then if he falters, then you bring Tua in. He, he goes out there. He has, what, 90 yards passing, 12 for 22, something like that. Nothing impressive. He wins a ball game. But really, that defense won that ball game. That special teams won that oh, ball yeah. game. What are your thoughts on Tua? Not enough information yet. You know, he didn't do much. You know, last week, obviously, he won. It's still weird to me. They're four and three. They're in the playoff hunt. They've won three games in a row now. Their defense is, was pretty much New England's defense from a couple years ago. They got half their linebackers. Actually, they do have half their linebackers. It's, it's weird to me. When's the last time a, a rookie quarterback won the Super Bowl? Never. Not never. Right. How, when's the last time a rookie, and I don't even know the answer to this, has even been to the Super Bowl? Not much. And probably never. Wanna, Maybe one. I want to say, didn't Ben Roethlisberger go as a nah, rookie? Nah, he beat the Seahawks, but he wasn't a rookie. No? Nah. I don't right. think so. So, whatever it is, it's not much. So, you're kind of telling people, look, we're going to cut your Social Security. Right? <laughs> we're Not all of it. We're going to cut it. In other words, we're, you're not getting to all of it. And that's kind of what you're saying to the to the to your team is we're playing for next year. 
We're, we're not. We, we may get to the playoffs. We're going to have fun, but we're putting this guy in a position to com- to learn what it's like to be in a playoff hunt and all that stuff. It's just weird to me because you're doing it when you're winning. And it, you're winning ball games. You you are in the hunt for the division. And you're saying, you know what? Let's roll the dice. I, I know. I, I know. I, I've I've won five hundred bucks at this table right now. Forget it. Let's let's just throw four hundred on on whatever and roll the dice and see what happens. I think as a veteran that messes up your mentality. As a young guy, you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to grow with Tua, so I'm with this, but those veterans who are like, look, this is our chance to win the division that yeah. was untouchable for 20 years. You're killing me, coach. I know. You got Buffalo in there, too. Yeah, I think it's uh, the part I was throwing about the Social Security is it, it may need to be a legit conversation. You just got to be a really good leader and salesman mm-hmm. to sell it, and I think they got a head coach has pulled it off. And so I, I don't think they're done. I think their defense is legit. We when we played them, you know, we were we were on a bit of a roll. We went on the road there, and, and I thought we played one of our better games also. Um, so I, I think this thing works out. If they get to the playoffs with him as a rookie, wow, that's yeah. a win-win with all their draft pick coming up. All right, here, here's the big one for you, Paul. Moore. Yeah. Antonio Brown. He is suiting up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week. What do you expect out of this guy? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say nothing, but um, look, he's such a gifted talent, you guys. Even at his age, he's a hard worker. You know, for exclude any off-field pieces to it. Just what is he as a football player? Unbelievable. And here's why I think he's going to be phenomenal. Tom Brady's never had a guy like him. He's never had yeah, a guy yes like he has. Who? Randy. Yeah, but Randy at the oh, Okay, Randy good, like good comparison. Touchdowns. You know what? Really good comparison. In in their 30s? Yeah. Um you're right. Randy came on deep threat, different player because yeah. you're going to have more of an intermediate route guy who can run take a slant for a touchdown yeah. versus Randy who's a go guy. Yeah, really good point on that. But he's never had a Mike Evans, an Antonio Brown, a Godwin, two phenomenal tight ends, protection. I'm like, wow. You know, so I think A.B. is going to be, is he going to get 10 catches a game? No, because they're going to spread it around. They're still going to run it. They're going to try and win the football game. But it just goes to show you again, why is New England struggling so much? Tommy Boy. They don't have players. Why is all of a sudden Tampa Bay this team that is a concern for the Seahawks. They're, they got a pretty good defense. Inconsistent yeah, right defense now. But my goodness, offensively with Tom Brady, who knows exactly where to go the football, is, is going to put it in the right pocket. Antonio Brown is going to kill it. Even if Antonio Brown doesn't get the football, he is going to stretch out the defense. Absolutely. I mean, these guys are going to work together. Godwin's working for Evans. Evans working for Brown. Brown's working for Godwin. Gronk is going to do all the dirty work. Goodness gracious. And then you still have Fournette. You got Roe Jones back oh, there. I forgot that about position. Fournette. Yeah. You have a defense who plays well at They come times. after you. This is the team to look after. This is why a 16 game playoff team is horrible. We need them to play in the wild card round, yeah. get knocked off. <laughs> and all those teams get knocked And then we come and play. They're, they're actually the NFC. There are no patsies. All right. Well. Getting the sign to wrap it up, man. I, I, I was, I was just segment, the, just right? that yeah. segment. That segment's awesome. We still got a close to go. We got to close it up. All right, well, coming up next, me, Michael Bumpus, my guy, Paul Moyer. We will give you our final thoughts right here on Hawks Live. Hawks. 
Live every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Yes, yes, yes. Me and Paul Boyer, Michael Bumpus, it's 710 ESPN Hawks Live every Thursday at 7. We're wrapping this thing up, Paul. And these guys bounce back. They beat the 49ers. They do what they're supposed to do. Now they're going east to play a football team that is dangerous. I want the 12s to realize they have weapons on offense that are going to challenge this defense. But the defense isn't what we saw in 2019, so that is what is keeping us optimistic. I think we're optimistic regardless because this offense is going to put up 35 points. But talk about this offense, Paul. What are you seeing? Well, I think, you know, offensive line. Are you talking about Buffaloes? Buffaloes, yes. Uh, Yeah, they're – uh, unconventional, um, a lot like ours, rely on their quarterback uh, to make plays. And look, Josh Allen, you guys, <laughs> it's I mentioned this earlier. It's it's similar to being in the Northwest where people don't really recognize you. Look how long it's taken Russell Wilson to get the kind of love and, and respect that he deserves and is warranted. You know, Josh Allen is is a really good quarterback. Yes. You know, he's young. He's still, you know, he's not. He doesn't make the decisions quite like Russell Williams or Russell Wilson does. But man, his arm strength, his athleticism, he can run the ball. It's it's going to be a battle for us. You know, and they got weapons all over the uh, the place at wide receiver, running back. They're deep. It's it's a really good football team. We're going to have to score thirty plus. I, yeah. I believe that. That's We're every, on that's the can, that's every game, right? We just have to score well, thirty plus. It helps. <laughs> it helps. I mean, when we scored thirty plus, we we're, we're not undefeated, um, but we haven't lost in regulation yet. We have not been behind. I love your view. You know what? I love your outlook on life. Haven't I lost in regulation. I mean, think about that. It's not in regulation. Think about that. I mean, <laughs> it just shows the the one thing about the Seahawks. Um, I was thinking about Tampa Bay. What's the difference? We're consistent. You know what we're going to get. I mean, we may not be pretty on defense, but you know what we're going to get. We're going to give up some yards and some points probably in the fourth quarter. We're going to play it pretty tight to the vest the first three quarters. Probably going to get a double-digit lead because our offense is so explosive, and we're having a quarterback who's playing maybe the greatest year in in, in history of, of quarterbacks. And some people say, what? I'm like, Go watch him play. The, the the touchdown that we had last week when he stepped up in the pocket and hit David Moore on the cross from route. I, just go watch it. Replay it over and over. And I want you to think and how fast things are coming. What would you have done? What would I have What done? would you have done? I would have ran the rock. Or you would have, or maybe you wouldn't even have stepped up in the pop. But maybe you would have just gotten blindsided. Maybe you nah, would have not, just said, hey, not, mommy. Not me, Paul. I'm just saying. I'm stepping up in the pocket. I know. And I'm running in the zone. Well, you weren't running out because Russell wasn't <laughs> running. He was about, he got hit in the legs. He's airborne, and he flicks the ball to, to more. It's it's such an amazing throw, and there's more of those in the game. You know, it goes back to the, the most difficult catch, high, least probability catch in the NFL this year. It was early in the year when he threw the one in the sideline against Cowboys, to, I believe, to David Moore again. Yeah. So Demo and, and Russell have this and, and love the, relationship. And the year before, he threw one of the most improbable catches to Tyler, Tyler Lockett, Lockett in the back of the end zone against Which the we saw another one two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's on and on. So he's... He's so phenomenal, you guys. It's so just enjoy it because uh, we'll never see this again in Seahawks history. Never see it again. Well, these guys are going east 
to the East Coast to play the Buffalo Bills, and hopefully they come back with a victory. Before we get out of here, special thanks to Sal Capaccio, DJ Reed, and John Clayton for joining the show. Our board operator is Tariq. The Seahawks pregame show is live this Sunday starting at 8 p.m. Before I get out of here, also big thanks to NASA Chobi, my guy, our producer. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Bumpus, with Paul Moyer. We'll be back Thursday right here on Hawks Live.